Have you ever noticed how some things seem to make time go faster and other things seem to make time go more slowly? For example, if your mortgage payment is due, that just comes so quickly. It's almost like it just happened and now it's time for the mortgage payment again. Or sometimes there are things that make time go so slowly, such as illness. You're sick. You can't wait for time to go by. There is something coming up this week that has made time seem to go slowly. Tuesday cannot get here fast enough, for my opinion... (laughs) I don't know if you have grown tired of all of these, uh, I guess you might call them attacks or advertisements or or whatever concerning the, the primary election, but Tuesday, Lord willing, at least for a short time, we're going to be set free from those things. And um, how many of you have already voted? Oh my, quite a few of you. How many of you still intend to vote? I hope all of you do. That is a wonderful, wonderful privilege that we have. And then, of course, in the election coming up in the fall, I hope that we'll vote. And regardless of who becomes the victor, what we can be absolutely sure of is this. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. And so our our purpose in being good citizens is to stand behind in prayer those whom God places in positions of leadership. Let's pray. Father, we have uh, before us a variety of different choices that have to be made in the days ahead. Some have already been made. But Father, even as uh, this primary election occurs, those who participate in it, I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom to... uh, Make a selection of candidate that would be of your choice. And Father, as we face the election in the fall, we pray for your will to be done and that you would give us the leadership that you desire for us to have. But until that day, Father, I want to pray for our president, Barack Obama. I thank you for him. I thank you for his family. I pray, Lord, that the spiritual needs that are represented in their lives would be met according to your will. I pray, Father, that as a family, they would be strengthened. And I pray, Lord, as our president makes many very crucial decisions, that you would guide him and direct him. I pray that you would keep him in good health, give him clarity of thought, keep him strong. And, Father, we would pray the same for those who are members of Congress. Our prayer would be the same for those who are part of our Supreme Court. And, Father, we pray for our own governor and those who serve our state as well as those who serve our localities. And pray, Lord, that you would accomplish your will through their leadership. And, Father, we pray that perhaps in a new and a fresh way, all of our leaders would see that their responsibility to serve is a responsibility that has been established by you. You are the maker of government. And I pray, Lord, that we would be very mindful of the privilege that we have as a people to have a voice in that government. And I pray that you would cause us to be able to sound out with a clear voice 
those principles that your word has given us so that we would reflect the truths of your word, even in the ways that we vote. And we will thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's about as political as I'm going to get right there. So let's turn to the word. That's what we're here for. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter? And we're continuing our study in this portion. And what we'll find is that the argument that Paul began as we began looking at this last week, an argument focused upon the power of the cross, is continued beyond those verses that we looked at last week. And to be sure that we're on the same page, not necessarily in your Bibles, but certainly within our thinking, when we speak of the cross, we speak about all of the work that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ when he went to that cross, died in our place, took the punishment of our sin upon himself, was buried, and rose again the third day. He demonstrated the acceptance of the Father, or by the Father, of his sacrifice. And today, by the grace of God with which, or about which we've been singing, God extends grace to those who by faith open their hearts to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Essentially, they relinquish. We relinquish hope in anything else. We relinquish trust in everything else. And our trust is focused in one direction. And that direction is the cross of Calvary where Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again from the dead, so that those who trust in him as Savior pass from death into life and a life that is abundant and free. What we found last week in the verses that we read was that the cross alone has the power to save. And when you declare that, as it was in Paul's day, it is still the same today. You tell people of the exclusivity of the cross, the exclusivity of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and to some, it will be foolishness. Those who see it as foolishness are lost. To others, it is the power of God to salvation. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ as Savior, we recognize that through that sacrifice and through the embracing of that sacrifice, God extends to us by a divine act of his own will the very presence of a new quality of life. And we call it eternal life. And it certainly includes our presence with the Father in heaven. But it's a quality of life that we live right now. Our are the, the, the chains have fallen off. The perspective of life changes. Things that before seemed to be so foolish and obscure now become realities, and we understand, and we see because we believe. And now, seeing clearly what Christ has provided for us, we begin to understand more fully all that the cross provided. And we pick up at on that as we come down here to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians and we move right into the second chapter all the way up through the fifth verse. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, 
Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. When we read these verses, we begin to see the expansion in Paul's thinking of what power was manifest and what elements of power were manifest in the cross. We've already seen that the cross alone has the power to save, but now he's telling us this. The cross alone has the power to lift. And he does this in a way that I, I don't know how you read the scriptures uh, I guess you might say emotionally as you read, and I'm not speaking about uh, brokenhearted, but that you kind of look for little little things in the Scriptures that give you a certain feeling. And, and here's the feeling that I got as I began reading this passage that we read today. It's as if the Apostle Paul is saying this. Look around. Do you notice anything? Not many wise, not many strong, not many people of noble birth have embraced Christ as Savior. Now, I don't know if he was trying to be diplomatic, but do you understand the implications of that? I guess if we were to bring it down to us today, just look around a little bit, okay? You're allowed to do that now. Just everybody just kind of look around, okay? Do you see anybody that's really somebody special? Now, okay, some of you are saying, yeah, I'm special. Uh, As as you look, something begins to emerge, and it's kind of like we're just common folk, aren't we? I I mean, I I don't know of anybody in here that has great power. We we have candidates that have come into our state who are vying to become the president of the United States. We have a man sitting in that office right now who is considered to be the most powerful man in the world. And I look around here and I, I, I don't see anybody of that ilk. And and look look at these words that Paul uses. It's, it's it's almost insulting, and yet it's not because it's so true. He says, "For you see your calling, brethren, 
Not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble or people of uh, that are well-born. I, I, I don't know of anybody that's royalty in here. And, and somebody could challenge me on that, couldn't you? you? You could challenge me on that. Because in the spiritual realm, we are a kingdom of priests. Um, and so we're royalty by relationship to our Heavenly Father. But on the human level, I don't... Are, are any of you of royal stock? Now, some of you may have traced your ancestry, and you may look back and say, well, yes, I, I descended from the, uh, the, the king of Lithuania, and uh, I, I have royal blood flowing through my veins. Oh, well, good for you. Um, I'm not sure that that makes much of an impact for us today. So I look at this, and, and what Paul is saying is, you know, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is disseminated among the people. It is not reserved for those who have an earthly human wisdom. It's not for those who have incredible might and power, because that, that's totally contrary to what people think. Might makes right. No. No, truth makes right. And God says, not many mighty, not many people who are noble or, or people who are well-born, born in such a way that, that they have this royal blood. He says, instead, I want you to notice this. <laughs> and it gets worse. <laughs> he says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. I read a passage like that and here's what I walk away with. The grace of God that is provided through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ goes to the very bottom of humanity. And he says to the worst I've provided a way through which you can come into a right relationship with your Creator. And quite frankly, those of you who are perhaps are not wise and not mighty, and you are not of noble birth, you are the ones who recognize that you need me. You're not deceived by things that can only satisfy for the moment. And so I have chosen the foolish things. I have chosen the things that are weak. I have chosen the insignificant. I have chosen the despised. I've chosen the things that are not, according to man's perspective. And you are the ones that I've drawn to myself. Aren't you glad that the hope of the gospel reaches as far down as anyone goes? All the way down. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. He, he reaches down to the lowest, but then he takes the lowest and he brings them to the heights. 
Now, it almost sounds insulting when you first look at those, those statements because do you know who that includes? Me. <laughs> the foolish things. I am really grateful that nobody said amen. The weak, <laughs> but you could have. The weak things. I don't know of anything noble in my background. I, I haven't really looked many generations back, but I don't know of anything noble there. Um, despised? Yeah, in many ways, I guess. And someone with nothing. And now the Lord says, because I'm willing to reach down to you, I want you to know what I'm going to do for you when I reach down. I'm going to take you from the very lowest. And this is not said with any pride because it's all of the Lord's doing. But I'm, I'm, I'm at the top today. So are you. Um, that, that almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it? It almost, when you, when you say, I'm at the very top. But listen, folks, the, you know how people today are trying to tell all the kids how special they are and they can flunk tests, but they're still as good as the kids that get A's. Are you all aware that that's the nonsense that's going on today in education? Okay. And uh, you reaffirm every child because they have to have their sense of self-worth. Well, I read this and I don't really get a whole lot of self-worth out of it. But what I do get out of it is this. What God gives is where I find my worth. He gives life. Therefore, I have been created in his image. Therefore, at the moment I'm conceived, I am a human who has all of the qualities of divinity, though they have been distorted by sin, those are within me, and that's what makes me worthwhile, and it makes everybody else worthwhile. Therefore, I look at that, and then I begin to understand that in and of myself, there's really nothing special going on. But what makes persons special is what the Lord makes them, either by birth, and they are special, but you better face reality... If you're not going to study and pass a test, you're not going to make it in life. Even if your teacher says, that's okay, you're just as good as everybody else. Well, you might be just as good as everybody else in a divine sense, a sense of your creation. But I want to tell you something. Don't, don't talk kids into believing that everybody is going to treat them well if they don't apply themselves and don't work. I'm trying to summarize a philosophy that I have about education. <laughs> Are you getting that? I think, it's, I think it's terrible today that we try to put everybody on the same plane and don't tell kids what the truth is. And the truth is, if you don't work, you're not going to make it. And so we have a generation of people who believe that they don't have to work and they don't have to extend themselves and the government will take care of them. By the way, I have officially become anti... What's that group that's protesting? Occupy. I have become officially anti-Occupy because they are burning the American flag. 
And there is something else behind that, and it's not just an economic thing. Just throw that out to you. Boy, how did I get off on... I don't, I don't talk about political things, but you'll know what I believe. How high does the Lord lift us? Here's how high he lifts. You notice he says he takes the foolish things, and what does he do? He puts us in union with the one in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am in Christ when I trust Him as my Savior. Now I find myself dwelling in the spiritual realm of the one who has all wisdom and all knowledge so that now my foolishness, the way I would think naturally, can be turned to that which is wise and that which is based upon truth and reality. And I can think about the things that don't all come to an end when this life ends, but I can think about the things that matter for all eternity. I am taken from the very low point of foolishness and I am identified with Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And fearing the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I find now that my thinking, which is foolish, can be brought into line with with his thinking, which is absolute and total wisdom. Unsaved people can't do that. He takes not only that which is foolish, but notice then he goes on, he talks about the weak. And I realize, you know what, I am really weak. I I have really no innate power other than what the Lord has given me. And apart from Him, I don't have anything. But in Him, I am now in the One who spoke and the entire universe came into being. I'm identified with the God of the universe and my identity is wrapped up in Him. That's pretty powerful. That means that apart from all of the best efforts that I can make, I have the ability to go to a God who can take the worst possible circumstances, who can take those things which seem the darkest, and He can make them work for my good, and out of the darkness He can bring light and life. But apart from him, that can't happen. So he takes the one who is foolish, he takes the one who is weak, and as you read further, he takes the one who is insignificant, low-born, base, as our New King James translates it. And now he says, I give you a message of great significance a message that can change people's lives. I give you a message that can change people's destinies. Folks, do you, do you all understand that those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior have within you a power and a capability that transcends even that which the president can do? The president can't change people's hearts. 
But Jesus Christ can, and you have the message of the gospel within you. And you can be used as a tool by God to express and to demonstrate incredible power. But wait, I'm insignificant, I'm nothing. No, no, the message of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And you have that. And then he says, finally, the despised. Do you ever feel despised? Sometimes you're despised by friends. Sometimes you're despised by family. They just push you out of the way. And the Lord tells us that now we have been accepted in the beloved so that even God the Father himself looks upon us and he says, my child, you come into my presence anytime that you want. I cannot do that with the President of the United States. You know what would happen if I tried to get into the Oval Office? I wouldn't get very far. I'd Probably because I look Arabic, I'd get stopped real early. Of course, I look Italian, and I look, what else do I look like? I look Jewish. I look American. Such a good deal. Yeah. I bring that up because I used to get stopped at airports all the time. I, I was the one they'd pull out of the line, and they'd do the wand thing, and it's like, okay, I know, I Dark complected, I have a big nose and all this other stuff. So I would go through that. And I would look at that situation and I'd say, all right, um, I can't get really far with who I am, except at any moment I can walk into the throne room of the God of creation and I can speak with him and I can tell him the burden of my heart. And I can ask him for his help and for his aid. The power of the cross is able to lift the lowest to the very heights and everyone else in between. Notice how it says in that opening passage or the opening part that we read today. Notice that you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called here's the reality people who are wise people who are mighty people who are noble often find that they rest within and trust themselves i am a self-made man everything i have i have earned myself and they get this idea that they have capabilities within themselves that cause them to become very independent very self-sufficient, and they will not turn to a God who says, I am the only hope you have. Instead, they will rely upon themselves. But there are some who do. And I heard someone speak one time and said this, I was saved by the letter M. And it changes not any to not Many, some mighty, some noble, some people who are wise, even by this world's standards, are drawn to the Lord, and he takes that person who will humble himself, 
who will humble herself and recognize her need, recognize his need of a Savior, and they will turn in faith in Jesus Christ, and he will lift them to the same heights that he lifts those to whom he reaches to the very bottom to find and to draw to himself. The cross alone can lift people. As you go on in this, I want you to notice also that the cross alone has power to unite. Look at verses 30 and 31. It says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What do we find when we come to Christ? We find in him a fellowship, a sharing in common that we do not have in any other dimension. Some of you share in common the same age. You, you are in the same grouping. For, for example, we have some young adults who right now will identify most clearly and, and uh, identify most strongly with other people who are perhaps in the child age, uh, child-rearing age group having babies and you're raising the children. Some are in the realm of the retired. And you will find within that group people with whom you can connect because you have very similar circumstances of life and you're going through a lot of the same realities of life. And you can do that right across the board. You have some who are high school kids and you you guys identify best with people your own age, don't you? Is that true? Yeah, I I would think that that's true. And you identify with people who are experiencing the same things in life. So you will have fellowship primarily with that group. And sometimes in a church, when when groups like that gather, people say, oh, well, they have a click. And I, I, I don't buy that all the time. I think a lot of it is just the natural draw of people in the same circumstances of life. But here's what I do know. You young people can fellowship on a level that no one else can understand except those who know Christ as Savior with some of the old people in our church. And you guys have the same thing in common with them. Some who are raising children are able to identify with people who perhaps have already raised their children And there is a fellowship because there is a common bond in the person of Christ and what we have in him brings us together and unites us. Notice, how many of you have ever traveled outside of the country? Okay, most of you it looks like. Did you you run into other believers? And, And again, I'm making an assumption that you are a believer. That may not be accurate, but that's the assumption. Did you ever run into other believers? Were you able to speak their language? Some of them you could, but many of them you couldn't. Did that make a whole lot of difference? Well, it does in some regards. I mean, like, you know, I'd like to order a hamburger and you get liver. or so, You know, that, that would make a difference. But what doesn't make a difference is this. I have the same Savior within me that you have within you. And I have found that no matter where you go in this world, when you start interacting with other people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, there is an instant bond of fellowship. I think I shared this with you, and, and I can't talk about this so much anymore, but back during the Olympics, uh, when I was a kid, the Cold War was on, and I hated to see the Russians win anything. Just hated to see it. I hope none of you are of Russian descent, but 
to be honest with you, I didn't care for your people at all because you scared me. And that would automatically put this wall up. Then you would begin to find out that even among some of the athletes, on occasion, there would be a person who had accepted Christ as Savior. And I know within the communist realm that, that was a very hard thing to happen. But you would, you would hear that happen. And you know what, would ha- what happened in my heart? All of a sudden I would start rooting for them. It didn't matter if they were a Russian or if they were even a Cuban. Do, 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 some of you are Cuban backgrounds, right? Do you remember that? What, Orfilo Stevenson or whatever his name was? What was it? Diofilo. Unbelievable boxer. Maybe the best that ever lived. I wanted to see him get pounded. But nobody did. <laughs> this guy was unbelievable. But then you find a boxer that trusts in Christ as Savior and you're praying for his protection. <laughs> you guys all get what I'm saying here? There is a bond that occurs instantly. And the Lord speaks to us about that bond. And he tells us not only is your fellowship shared, but your objectives are shared. You, you, you live for the same purpose. What is the ultimate purpose for which we live? It is to be holy. For the Lord our God is holy. And we come from different backgrounds and we come from different uh, cultural settings. We come from different uh, economic realms. We come from all sorts of differences. But we have one goal in mind. And that goal is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by living lives that are separate from sin and devoted to Him. In other words, a holy life. And so our objectives become the same. And then we find out that our boasting is the same. You say, wait a minute. Isn't boasting a bad thing? You you all remember I was talking to you about uh, Stevenson. Uh, One of the greatest American boxers was Muhammad Ali. I used to think he was demon-possessed. And the only reason I say that is because he seemed to beat guys that I just couldn't believe he could beat. And it's like you, you almost felt that he had something else going for him. But the truth is, he was just a great boxer. And he was strong, and he knew his art, and he performed it well. But it was kind of disgusting to hear him say, I am the greatest. And he would dance around the ring, and he would... He would float like a butterfly, but he would sting like a bee. And he would go on and on about how great a person he was. And, and uh, I think a lot of that was just his humor, and I understand that. And he was a, a funny guy. He, he had a great sense of humor. And there were elements of his boasting that I found very disgusting. But in retrospect, I think some of it was just the showmanship. Truth is... What's What happened to all that boasting now? What's the greatest thing you can think of that you've ever done? Do you revel in that? Do you glory in that? Or do you take the same position that the Apostle Paul took who said this, if I'm going to brag about anything, I'm going to brag about one thing. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything else doesn't matter. I haven't done anything that's worthy of praise. I haven't done anything that's worthy 
of any boasting. But I know who is worthy to be exalted and praised. And so, the Apostle Paul told us back there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you know Christ as your Savior, you can join the rest of us who say, my boast is in the cross. My hope for eternity is found in Jesus Christ and what he did for me and nothing else. And so we find that the, the cross has the power to save and the cross has the power to lift and the cross has the power to unite. But I want you to see one final thing as we go into that second chapter. Very briefly, the cross has the power to enable. And the Apostle Paul is identifying himself with something here that's a little bit hard to reconcile because of what we, we think about him. But, but notice that all of the enabling that he speaks of is based upon the cross. Look at verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Could Paul have presented himself in a rather self-aggrandizing way? He could have. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the, the greatest Jewish teacher of his day. He was undoubtedly from a very well-to-do background because he possessed Roman citizenship, which many had to pay a very high price for, but somebody that was his ancestor had already cared for that, was already a Roman citizen, and he became one by birth. And so you could look at all these different elements about who he is, and he says this, I didn't come with any of that. I came with one objective, one goal, one motivating element, and that is I came to declare to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I find all my enabling power in that message. He goes on in the third verse, and he says, I was with you. Now, wait a minute. Look at this. He's going to talk about his own human frailty here. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul? Weakness? Fear? Trembling? Time out. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can you boast in the cross? What is our boast? It's that our hope for time and for eternity is all wrapped up in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that alone. And the hope we have for forgiveness of sins and eternal life is all found in Jesus. Do you owe that message to anyone else? Who has the Lord chosen 
to be the ones to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has chosen those who can boast in the cross. Can you boast in the cross? Yes! So if you can boast in the cross, does that then, love this word, behoove you to share the gospel with others? Yes. But here's where the contradiction comes. But pastor, I'm afraid to do that. And listen, I do understand that. I, I know that. The, the fear, I believe, comes from the fact that we, we don't want to embarrass ourselves by making some humongous blunder where we say, you know what, I really did a horrible job in presenting Christ and, and I, didn't, I didn't do well at all. And so I'm afraid that I might blow it. Uh, maybe there's a, a, a lesser fear. Maybe, maybe the other fear is this. I don't want anybody knowing that I'm a Christian because my life hasn't been consistent with who I say that I am. But let's not talk about that one. Let's talk about this, that I'm afraid because I don't want to blow it. And I find myself, whenever I think about sharing Christ with somebody, my mouth gets dry. Have you ever gotten so nervous that your mouth gets dry? I went rock climbing out in Colorado. And as I'm about 30, 40 feet off the ground, my legs are shaking like this, and I'm trying to swallow, and I can't swallow. Because my mouth is so dry. And sometimes people get that way when they're thinking about sharing Christ. So what? So what? Shaking? Fearful? Does that relinquish our responsibility and our privilege to tell others about Christ? Look what Paul said about himself. He said, when I came to you, I was, it was with, uh, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Did that stop him? No. Why not? Because he was boasting in the cross. And here's what he understood. You and I do not have the power to convince people to put their faith and trust in Christ. All we have the power to do is present Christ. And then the power that's manifest, if you go back up there to verse 1, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech and wisdom, declaring the testimony of God, but... I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then you drop down to verse 4, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Somebody will say, well, I don't have, I don't have the words to say that, that, somebody else would have to tell people about Christ. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have the words to say. Here's what Jesus Christ did for me. And in fear, in weakness, and in trembling, you tell others what Jesus Christ has done, and you glory and you boast in the cross. 
And that's how the message of the gospel is spread. Is our hope going to be in an election? No. Is our hope going to be in a recovery economically? Nope. All our hope is bound up in the person and the work, the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to make an impact on the world, it's going to have to be through the cross. I would ask you if you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior. And my guess is this. My guess is that most of you in here have. But I would suspect that there may be some. And, and I don't know any of those of you. If you're, if you're as a guest today, I'm not trying to pick on you. I, I just want you to know that in a gathering of this size, there's probably people, maybe you have heard the gospel many, many, many times, but you've never really reached out in faith and trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Then why not trust him today? Right now. Lord, apart from that life that only you can give, I have no hope other than the sacrifice of Christ who died for my sins, who was buried and rose again from the dead, and I trust in him for my forgiveness. I trust in him for my eternal life. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And when you trust in him, he brings new life. And he brings a new boast. If I'm going to glory... It's going to be in the cross of Jesus Christ. And if I glory in that cross, I'm going to spread that message. Let's stand. Father, cross, uh, 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 except for the, the power of the cross, we, we have no capability that has anything of eternal value. I thank you, Father, that we could spend this time in your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for the work that was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. I pray that within the hearts of every individual here, there might be a settled assurance that Jesus Christ is truly their Savior. And, Father, I pray that if you would be pleased, you would cause some to turn from darkness to light from spiritual death to eternal life, from doubt to faith. I pray that you would bring glory to yourself as we depart from here, boasting in the cross and spreading the message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. It may be that some of you might have some spiritual needs about which you would like to speak, and I would just ask you to make your way to the front we will be glad to deal with you here if we can be of help. God bless you.